what's behind the Sacramento shooting suspect who's released early recently. District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert breaks down the dire consequence of the early release system in California. Professor Victor Davis Hansen analyzes why the mainstream media has the same narrative on the Russian-Ukraine war and how he views the impact of this war on the upcoming midterm election. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Win Kathy Show. I'm your host, Kathy Zhang. So today, it will only be myself with you. Uh, Wei just has uh, tons of things uh, to catch up, and um, but I will bring you two very uh, in important and interesting topics uh, in this episode. So uh, one is, uh, as you probably expect, that. Uh, but the next, the part two of uh, Professor Victor Davis Hansen's interview. And uh, I continue to ask him more questions about, uh, uh, for example, why the mainstream media seems to have the, exactly the same narrative and the rhetoric on this um, Russia-Ukraine war and how he an analyzed this and uh, how he views this would have an impact on the upcoming election, midterm election. So now, without further ado, um, we'll, let's get, get into the first news story. It uh, relates to what happened in California last, uh, last Sunday. As you're probably aware, in the capital of California, Sacramento, on early morning, in the early morning of uh, last Sunday, April 3rd, a mass shooting happened. Now, the more facts related to that tragedy has come out, and it turned out to be a gang-related shooting, and the one suspect was actually released from prison early, despite the opposition by the Sacramento district attorney. So what's more behind it? The Sacramento District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert will tell us more. I had an interview with her earlier today. So just uh, for, you know, some of you may not be familiar with the background, very quickly, so this tragedy happened in downtown Sacramento early morning on April 3rd, outside of a bar, and uh, six people died, 12 injured. According to the Sacramento police now, they identified that five suspects involved in this shooting, and they defined this actually as a gang-related shooting, not as most of the media reported as a mass shooting. They said that there were exchange of gunfires between gang groups, and so far, three suspects are, have been arrested. Two of them are brothers. 27-year-old Smiley Martin and the 26-year-old Dandria Martin. Both of them were released early from prison in the last two years. One of them, the older brother Smiley, has just recently gotten out of prison in February after serving less than half of his sentence. He was sentenced to 10 years for domestic violence and assault with a great bodily injury and only served just over four years when he was released. Prior to his release in April 2021, District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert wrote a two-page plea to the Board of Parole hearings asking that uh, he should stay in jail. In the letter, it says, inmate Martin has for his entire adult life, displayed a pattern of um, criminal behavior. It continues as um, inmate Martin has committed uh, several felony violations and uh, clearly has little regard for human life and the law, which can be shown by his conduct in his prior felony convictions. However, Smiley Martin was still let out. And why is that? So let's just uh, 
watch my interview with uh, District Attorney Anne Marie Schubert. It came into office in 2015. And when the Department of Corrections started releasing people early, uh, really after serving you know, a fraction of their sentence, we started publicly opposing those releases. And we would issue, we would sign letters, you know, not all of them, but many of them that we felt are too dangerous to release. So we would write letters and then we started posting those on our website, you know, almost seven years ago now, because we want the public to understand the dangerousness of some of these policies. And early release has been um, something that many DAs across California have been very vocal about for a very long time, because we recognize the dangerousness of, of when you're not holding people fully accountable and when you're releasing them before they're actually adequately rehabilitated, that that creates a dangerous recipe for public safety. And so um, there's a reason why there's like 40 plus district attorneys across California. We're suing the Department of Corrections over these types of policies because they're at this point now that they want to let people out, um, people that have violent records after serving really only a, maybe even a third of their sentence. And so that even creates more danger for the citizens of California. Yeah, I know some of the specifics you cannot talk about, about this right. case. Yeah, so at that time, what caught your attention? You wrote this letter about this particular person. Well, that's in the letter. So I have to kind of, again, it's a pending case, but the letter pretty much tells, tells what were the concerns? I will say this, if you go on to our website, the Sacramento DA's website, you can read, we've probably issued 300 letters at least in the last few years. And they detail the person's record. And the reason that's relevant or that's important is because what their past history is, their level of violence, whether they've been rehabilitated, whether, whether they've changed their behavior becomes a critical factor for, are they dangerous in the future? And so these letters are very clear. And the other part about it that the public often does not understand is that there are many crimes under the law that are considered what we, the law says is nonviolent. So particularly like in the Chinese community, we're, you know, we're all increasingly concerned about hate crimes, right? And hate crimes under California law is not considered a violent crime. So let's say you have somebody that commits a felony hate crime and he has a record. Let's say he's got a prior conviction for what we call a strike, meaning it's a violent crime or a serious crime. And maybe they get 10 years. But because that hate crimes is considered nonviolent, now our Department of Corrections says, well, they can get out or they want them to get out and potentially as little as a third of that sentence. That's why we have been advocating for years. Let's call these crimes what they are, violent, domestic violence, human trafficking, rape of an unconscious, felons with guns, hate crimes, they're all considered nonviolent, and that changes the dynamic on how fast they get out of prison. And it's dangerous. That's the bottom line is it's dangerous. So what do you think this uh, speaks to the justice uh, reform? Well, many of us for the many, many years have been saying, listen, we've got a tsunami of bad public policies. We also have some very bad prosecutors, such as Los Angeles and San Francisco, who are essentially dismantling the system from within. But we've got years of weakening of laws that help support holding people accountable. And those are constantly being, the tools are being taken away from law enforcement, from prosecutors, and then now we have this added problem that even when a judge sentences somebody, say it's 12 years, now we've got a Department of Corrections that, that wants to rewrite the rules and essentially turbocharge their opportunities to get out of prison even earlier. So that's, that's a very bad combination, as I say, a tsunami of bad policies. If a person is sentenced for certain years, why the Department of Correction could just change that? Prop 57 was passed by the voters in 2016. Proposition 57, in my opinion, was misleading to the public because it made it look like the only people that could get out early after they do adequate rehab are, quote, nonviolent people. The problem under that is that it also gave the Department of Corrections this massive authority to rewrite the laws. At least that's their position. They get to change the laws, even though they're an executive branch or not, you know, they're, they're not the legislature. So they are proposing, and they have been uh, for a well over, I think close to a year now, to, to completely change sentencing. So that's the problem with these laws is you've got, 
you know, you have a victim who comes forward. Let's say it's a domestic violence case. And this woman has been beaten and all these things. And she comes forward and finally has the guts to stand up to her abuser. The person goes to trial. She tells the judge and the jury what happened. A judge, he gets convicted. A judge sentences him. Let's say it's 12 years. Okay, let's say he has a bad record. He goes to prison for 12 years. Well, now under these rules that they're trying to change, it's not 12 years. It could be as little as perhaps maybe four years or even less. So that's where, you know, we've lost this sense of tr uh, truth and sentencing. Um, and it's really a dangerous combination because it's less time for that person to get rehabilitated and it's less accountability. And it's really an abandonment of crime victims' rights. Wow. So that's included in Proposition 57. I don't think Correct. a lot of the general public knows that. The California they don't understand. It's, it's kind of... You're 100% right, Kathy. I'm sorry I to interrupt you, but 57 was written so uh, articulately and artfully to try to essentially get people to vote for it. And that's what happened is because we all say, oh, yeah, let's get help to people that are, quote, nonviolent. But what people don't understand is that it's the only the, 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 the current crime that they're looking at. They're not looking at the fact that the guy has a, a, a record of 15 years of in and out of jail and various different types of crime, including violent crime. So it's misleading to the public, and, and more importantly is that it's very dangerous for public safety. Wow, thank you, Anne-Marie, for explaining that to our audience. That's really, really, I think, a lesson for the California voters. It, absolutely, and that's, you know, we've been trying to sound the alarm for many years. I mean, many voters are now kind of becoming aware of Proposition 47. Mm -hmm which really decriminalized theft and drugs, and we're kind of seeing the consequences of that law in the, in the communities across California. But Prop 57 is perhaps just as dangerous because we're talking about people that go to prison for crime, and now we're just gonna open up the prison doors and let thousands of them out. And this is really implicating potentially 70-something thousand inmates that they're gonna get these what we call turbocharged credits. Now, yeah, in regards to this, uh, it's actually a gang violence and involves gun shooting. But uh, when the incidents just happened uh, and uh, most of the media just uh, characterized as a mass shooting and also a lot of discussion is again about gun control. So what do you, what's your take on that? My take in general, again, without talking about the specifics of this case, is, is that many of us in law enforcement for a very long time have been essentially screaming about the number of illegal guns in our communities. And what I mean by that is we have a lot of felons, convicted felons or people that are prohibited from having guns that are, you know, running around with weapons. And, and, and that's a dangerous thing. And under the law, again, felons with guns is considered nonviolent. That's a almost like an oxymoron because they're a convicted wow. felon and now they have a gun so that means that you can get out again if you're convicted of that type of crime you can get out you know under these grossly reduced sentences but for those of us in law enforcement we've been talking about you know you can have all the gun laws you know that you have this is a crime control issue we have to control crime and that means we have to fund law enforcement we have to give them the tools they need to go out and proactively take these weapons off the streets out of the hands of felons and what we call prohibited persons. And then if we catch them and we prosecute them, we have to hold, have the tools to not only hold them accountable, but to prevent them from getting out of prison or jail at this really reduced sentence that they're trying to give. Yeah, it, because uh, California has probably the most gun control laws comparing to any other states. They have the most, they have the strictest uh, gun control laws. There's no dispute about that. And people want to talk about gun control, but this is a crime control issue. This is about felons and prohibited people. And, and let's not forget that, you know, when COVID hit, we flooded the streets with $30 billion or so of EDD money that went into the hands of criminals. And there's no, um, you can't say there's not a correlation. When you when you flood our communities with billions of dollars put into the hands of criminals, bad things are going to happen. Okay. And I don't think there's any coincidence. Well, let's that elaborate that. Yeah. So when COVID hit, um, the the DAs, including myself, kind of exposed this massive EDD fraud. So it became so easy for people. To, to rip off the system and take the money out of the legitimate folks that desperately needed it. So upwards of 30 billion 
was stolen out of the EDD system and given to people that were not entitled to that. I don't think it's any, um, I think it's, I think it's, it's, um, there's a correlation by the fact that we're seeing a flood of illegal guns in our communities in the hands of criminals. I think there's a correlation between that, EDD fraud, drugs, human trafficking. So when you talk to law enforcement, you often see when they make arrests or they make car stops, you're seeing a combination of illegal guns, EDD fraud, and, and drugs, illegal drugs. Fentanyl is one of them. I, mean, I think people are very aware of fentanyl. But when you give that amount of money to people that are, um, that are criminals, bad things are going to happen. How those uh, uh, criminals could get those uh, money? Uh, it's, it was widely reported a little over a year ago because we exposed it. What happened was there was no safeguards, really essentially no safeguards put into place within the government system, within the EDD system to stop this. So the pandemic hits. And so all these state prison inmates, uh, claims were made either by themselves or by people on the outside or in their names. And they were handed thousands. I mean, we've got a ton of cases pending in our office now where we're prosecuting people that never had the right to any EDD money, but they stole, you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, you know, they used it for things like, like this kind of stuff, or maybe they went and bought a Maserati with the taxpayer dollars, or they got Botox treatments or whatever it is, but it's a grotesque and historic amount of, of taxpayer ripoff, probably in the history of California and really in the history of this country. Any other takeaways for our audience from this case? What's happening in California? Listen, we're in a, a state of chaos. Everybody knows it. We've got, you know, violent crime is, is everywhere. I, you know, it's not unique to Sacramento. It, it is everywhere. That's a, that's a true statement. We're seeing a rise. We're seeing a rise in illegal guns. It's all a matter of how we handle it. So when you have bad laws, it, it gives us, doesn't give us the tools, but it's also, you have to be mindful. Like, you know, people will tell me, I, you know, I'm a prosecutor who's going to use the tools I have to hold people accountable. I'm not the type of prosecutor like George Gascon or Chesa Bodine who's going to do everything I can to go soft on crime. I'm going to use those tools that I can to hold people accountable. And when you have rogue prosecutors such as Gascon and Bodine, you know, that's even an added um, addition to this tsunami uh, of what I would call pro-criminal policies. Yeah, you, you hit at one point, the California legislatures just, uh, they are making more and more laws, you know, including, yes. you, yeah, people already know about the Proposition 47, now, you know, the 57, it's even more, Correct. yeah, but, um, you know, for everyday Californian, how would they catch up with all those new laws? Well, it's hard for anybody, even if, even for me, because I'm in the business, I've been in the business 31 years. The volume of these bills that are trying to essentially dismantle and weaken accountability is so enormous. It's, you know, we're trying to do our day job of, of prosecuting crime or being in our community trying to prevent crime. But to, to try to actually review all these bills is even an added burden. So the, the voters of California, what I would say is understand who your elected officials are and understand what is their voting record. So like for me, I'm, I'm running for attorney general um, because I love this state and I believe in balance and accountability, um, but we're not there. We are in a state of chaos. And if you think that what the, the way we're headed in California is a good way, then um, then you need to educate yourself on what's really happening. I don't mean that to be kind of you know just out there. I'm just saying it, but because our current attorney general is is the same fabric of George Gascon and Chesa Bodine. And that's why it's critically important that people understand you got to look at people. What are their records, their voting records? What have they done? Are they really, do they just talk or do they really actually back up what they're saying? Because for me, you can look at my record. I back up what I say, but for other folks, uh, talk is talk is cheap oftentimes and it can also be very dangerous. Yeah, I think, you know, not a lot of people know that uh, your office, you know, DA office, they, you actually put out those letters against about those early yes. release. So I think people will start to pay attention now. Yeah, that, that, hopefully that's that's what happens. A lot of times people 
you know, if, if you're just living your life in California, raising your families, getting them to school, whatever you do and going to work, and if you're not impacted by public safety, then, then you're just living your life. But once people start being impacted by public safety, then they're like, well, how can this happen? How can this rule, how can this happen? And that's when people say, start to realize. But I think now, um, I definitely think California voters are realizing, you know, not just because of the violent crime and the guns, but also, you know, we're seeing these viral videos. I mean, look what's happening to the Asian community of, of, of violent crimes and hate crimes and all those things, robberies and all that. We see that across California, we're seeing these follow home robberies. We're seeing people, you know, breaking into homes and, and that's all being put out there in the, in the social media uh, world. And that's, while it's scary, but it is a reality that clearly these policies are not working. Yeah, I think uh, people are realizing that because the most recent uh, Bay Area Council a survey shows that more than like 65% of people in California think it's going to the wrong direction. It is. The pendulum swung too far and we need to restore sanity to California. And, you know, that's why I'm running for AG. Listen, I'm not a politician. I'm just a prosecutor who's done this job for a very long time now. I do know what I'm doing. Um, I'm not crazy. I, I definitely believe in accountability and rehabilitation, but we have lost any sense of that balance. All right. So that's um, the Sacramento District Attorney and Marie Schubert. How do you think what you know we just discussed? The turbo, so-called turbo charge credit she referred to was um, it's a early release system that the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation have been pushing for the inmates can get good behavior credit to reduce sentences. Back in May of 2021, the Department of Correction gave higher credits through an emergency order to meet they quote as the direction outlined in the Governor Newsom's budget summary. So how they increase the credit. For example, the violent offenders had their conduct credit increase from 20% to 33%. People convicted, convicted of nonviolent crimes, even if it's their second conviction, could have their good conduct credit increased from 50% to 60%. What does that mean? That means their sentence will reduce by that kind of percentage. So, you know, in wake of this uh, Sacramento shooting and how Smiley Martin was released, nonetheless, um, even, you know, though the DA opposed strongly, so Sacramento Mayor Darren Steinberg, who is a progressive Democrat, Democrat who formerly led the state Senate, was among those who you know, were upset uh, after learning of uh, Martin's record. And he said at the event where officials requested more than $3 billion from the state to expand crime prevention program. He said, if people have a history of committing violent acts and they have not shown a, a propotence, uh, propensity or willingness to change, I don't think they should be out on the street. And uh, Republican State Senator Jim Nelson, he's uh, an opponent of early release. He once headed the state's um, parole board so what he revealed was that the good time credits are generally awarded automatically without inmates having to do anything to earn them. He said it gives them enormous opportunity to free up beds. So that's about the early, early release system. And now the Department of Correction is looking to make that change permanent. That's what the district attorney Schubert was mentioning why she and uh, 43 other district attorneys in California filed a lawsuit challenging this change because, you know, they said that this can affect 76,000 violent and serious offenders. And if you are in California, 
among our uh, audience, you should pay attention. The Department of Correction and Rehabilitation is uh, hearing out public comments through April 13th, next week. So if you, you know, feel it's necessary for you to weigh in about this uh, proposed change, you can email or mail to them, and uh, they will have a teleconference hearing in which individuals can make comments. They have not selected a date for the hearing yet, but they will post more detail on their website, which we can post you know, after this program. So yeah, how do you think? And one thing we actually you know, didn't address is um, the district attorney Schubert is running for attorney general. It's a very important position. Remember, he talk, she talked about the Proposition 57. We mostly aware of um, the harm that Proposition 47 does. But the Proposition 57, people generally know that it was also not a good law. But um, it was surprising to know that in this law, in, buried in this proposition, it gives authority to the Department of Correction and Rehabilitation for them to act as a legislative uh, like arm, right? They're supposed to only a executive arm. So I think, you know, this is uh, something that shocked people a lot. Um, I just had a, a Chinese radio show with my co-host uh, two hours ago, and uh, our Chinese audience in the barrier just, they were just so shocked. And uh, they share story how, you know, their neighbors, their friends are moving out of California, and that they are even considering moving out of California. One of them shared how uh, a, a couple of their friends has been really like strong support of uh, California Democratic Party. But when they retired, they moved out to Tennessee. And they told this our listener saying that uh, their neighbor was actually moved from San Francisco. And uh, out of like 10 houses they sold in that area, eight of them from California. So she said, uh, you know, they immigrated to United States, lived in Bay Area for 25 years, and really sad to see the changes. And they were just, you know, considering maybe they should move as well. You know, it's really, it, it really feels, you can feel the sadness in her tone. But um, on the other hand, other audience also called in and to offer, you know, like ways they feel, you know, how we can make awareness of people. One of them saying that uh, it looks like, you know, a lot of uh, people just don't, are not aware of the consequence of such uh, progressive or socialism or even communism policies. And uh, just giving some ideas how to just make more awareness. So yeah, people do, you know, now it's just more and more people uh, waking up. All right, so um, let's get to the, the next, um, next interview with uh, Professor Victor Hansen, and then maybe afterwards we can chat more uh, from the comments. So as you may remember from last interview with uh, Professor Hansen, I asked him about, uh, you know, his view on the outlook of this uh, Russian, Korean, uh, Russian Ukraine war. So I also asked him, you know, th some questions like some suspicion, uh, some doubts from fellow Americans, including some from our audience about right about uh, this war, U.S. involvement. So so we started with this question about the. Uh, you know, the such a coherent message or rhetoric from the mainstream media about this war. For people who are suspicious about uh, the involvement of the United States in the war is uh, because they, they don't trust the mainstream media, they don't trust the left-leaning no, government, and that when they see all the mainstream media, they have the same 
rhetoric, right? Same narrative. There's two issues here, and they are tangential, but they're not necessarily the same. Here's the one issue is reality. Putin invaded Ukraine when they had differences. All of those differences could have been negotiated. But for a variety of reasons, he went in there, and now with his plan B, he's trying to destroy eastern Ukraine, and we understand that, and we oppose him, and we support the Ukrainians. That's reality. But here's the other issue. Superimposed on that reality is the Biden administration. They are looking at that reality, and they are saying to themselves, we are unpopular because we destroyed energy independence. We destroyed the southern border. We incited racial animosity. We were humiliated in Afghanistan. We're looking at 8% inflation, maybe 9 or 10. We're looking at sky-high gas prices. There is nothing that's going to save us in the midterm. However, even though we did not sell offensive weapons that were needed by Ukraine, even though Donald Trump did, but we didn't, and we denied them, even though we were lax, we're going to take this reality and we're going to turn it into something before the midterms. And we're going to turn it into a propaganda. And the propaganda is don't think about Burisma or Hunter or the Biden family, three and a half million dollar profiteering. Don't think about all of our failures. Just think about Joe Biden supports what 70% of the people do. And to the degree that we have higher gas prices or higher inflation, it's because of Vladimir Putin, not us. He's the one that raised gas prices. He's the one that made inflation. And he's the one attacking our friends, Ukraine. And there are noble Churchillian leaders there. And it's a cut and dries. And that, so they're manipulating or warping that reality. And the left now is kind of trying to take credit for arming the Ukrainians, saving the Ukrainians to demonize Putin. But so conservatives are in a difficult position. They're, they want Ukraine to win. They feel Putin was aggressive. They oppose the Russian invasion, but they also understand that the left is contorting and warping the reality for political gain and their panic that they have no other alternatives before this likely midterm wipeout in November. Talking about that, White House invited uh, like 30-some social media influencers to the White House to give them briefing on the war. And then we see, you know, those young, like 18-year-old coming on to TikTok, talk, explain why the gas price is so high and uh, why there's inflation. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We know the gas price of its, of its skyrocketing. So here in California, it was three thirty, And now I just filled up today, it was $6.30. 70% to 75% of that rise preceded the Ukrainian war. It only accounted for 30% of the rise. We know that because we know it right out of Joe Biden's mouth. Because starting in March, when this started to go up of almost a year ago, almost every couple of months, they had a new narrative. They said, this is only going to be temporary inflation and price rises. Or they said, it really doesn't matter that much or it makes solar power more uh, competitive, or we're going to go ask the Saudis, don't worry, or we're going to go ask Putin, don't worry, or we're going to go ask Venezuela, don't worry, or we're going to go ask Iran, and we got to get this Iran deal so they get their oil back in the market. So before the war started, by their own words and deeds, they were admitting that their policies had created an energy crisis. They knew it. They and they were they were terrified of it because they they kept saying, "Well, the green agenda has no support because when you adopt the green agenda like we did, then you've got to cancel all of these energy projects and when you do that psychologically as well as in reality, you destroy 
the confidence in the fossil fuel industry and, and you get limited production and greater demand. And people like Larry Summers, the Democratic economist from Harvard, were warning Joe Biden. And they were saying, if you continue to print money and you continue to discourage production and you pay people to stay home, and not be productive because of COVID relief checks that are more generous than their salaries, you're going to have a post-COVID demand. People have been pent up for over a year. They want to drive, they want to go out to eat, and you're unleashing that, and yet you're printing more money, you're feeding that, like this funny money, and everything is going to go up. And I mean, it's not just gasoline, it's meat, and it's heating fuel and it's building materials. I cars. Yeah, I mean, if you have a, a roll of wire, copper wire, that's Romex that every house in America has to have. Every new house, every old house has to be rewired. It was thirty-five dollars for two hundred and fifty feet just a year and a half ago under Trump. It's a hundred and forty dollars. If you're putting on a roof or siding and you want plywood four by eight. It used to be $9. It's gone up to $95, some of it, and, or between 55 and 90 depending on how thick it is. So we're not just talking about the 8% official rate. When you look at the inflation rate on all the things that matter, and that's gas, that's food, that's building materials, uh, they're out of sight. And it was, it was self-induced. It was created by the Biden administration. And also, you know, it's noteworthy that uh, he invited a lot of the influencers on the TikTok. But TikTok, we all know who's behind it. Trump yes. ordered to ban it. But, you know, once Biden's in office, he actually revoked the executive order. Now he's using those influencers on TikTok. What do you think is the impact? You can't figure out Biden because whether it's this matter on TikTok or releasing... 1 million barrels a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which will make it almost, it'll have less than half of its capacity very quickly. It won't, it won't affect that much. Or why would you let a million new illegal aliens are anticipated to come in the next three or four months across the border in addition to the 2 million, and you're, you're suspending Rule 42 and you're saying there is no more COVID crisis, so therefore they can come unvaccinated and untested, but at the same time you're doing that, Dr. Fauci and everybody are saying we need more COVID money in this Build Back Better budget because COVID is coming back with another Omicron bar. So all of these signals they're sending are mixed. And why are they mixed? Because the, the President of the United States is not cognitively up to the job. So he has people come in with agendas and you come into Joe Biden and you say, I want to open up the border. Okay, go ahead and do it. I want to cut back natural gas. Oh, but there's no cohesive, strong leader that has a vision of where we're going to be. And so we don't know who these people are that are running the United States. People suggest, well, it's the Bernie Sanders crowd. It's the Elizabeth Warren crowd. It's the squad. It's Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer of the left. Or it's... Uh, the Obamas in absentia, but whoever all of these people are, we do know one thing, they're very far left and they're controlling the president. And he either is himself senile or he's not very bright, he's incompetent, or uh, he's cruel, he's mean-spirited, he wants people to suffer, he doesn't care. But never in our history have we seen anybody who just deliberately destroyed the border, deliberately destroyed the American presence in Afghanistan, deliberately allowed the Taliban to have $80 billion of very sophisticated weapons, deliberately st stirred up racial animosity, deliberately printed money and kept interest rates low at a time of increased demand and deliberately fueled inflation. It's hard. It's so crazy. You know, they're not mutually exclusive. You can say that he's incompetent. You can say that he's not all there. And you can say that he's mean spirited. And together that explains these disasters. 
but we've never had somebody who took a wonderful economy and in 14 months utterly annihilated you mentioned how you know the Biden administration, maybe the Democratic Party, tried to use this war to deviate attention, right, so yes. to speak. So would that work for the midterm? How do you think? No, it won't work for two reasons. Because Americans know they were angry that their building materials, their meat, and their gas were already going up before Ukraine. And they were going up, they know, because of the policies of printing money and they were going up because remember what the Biden administration said. If what they're saying now is true, then Jen Psaki and Barack Obama did, and Yeltsin didn't, Yellen didn't say the following. They never said, oh, don't worry about inflation. It's only transitory. Oh, don't worry about inflation. It's only a bunch of elite people waiting for their exercise bikes. Oh, don't worry about inflation. It doesn't really exist that much. Why did they say all of that if there was no inflation until the Putin war? So Americans remember that, and they know they're not telling the, the truth. And two, when they look at the entire menu, and I'll give an example of the Asian American community, they understand that the last two years there's been a concentrated hate crime attack on elderly Asian Americans. They know who's doing it inner city thugs. They know that the Biden administration will not say a word about it. They know that inflation is, is there. They know that gasoline is going out. And they know this has nothing to do with Putin. They know the border has nothing to do with Putin, the open border. And they know that they have a relative, they have a friend that has a PhD, an MD, an optometry degree, say in Taiwan. And they've been trying to immigrate for years legally, legally. And there's all sorts of roadblocks. It's expensive. They have to hire lawyers. And then they look over at the southern border and they say, my gosh, these people are coming illegally. They don't know English. They don't have our skills. They don't have a record of success the way that our community does. And we're being penalized for following the law and they're being rewarded for breaking it. And that's just one example of a community. So people are so angry at what Biden has done across the board that, that this effort to blame Putin, they know is not only false, but it will, it will boomerang. We're gonna see the greatest correction. That's a fancy word for democratic defeat in the House and Senate that we've seen probably in 50 years. The other thing is um, about uh, Zelensky. One view is that uh, he is kind of left-leaning because of his policies shows that. And of course, you know, a lot of people think he's a hero. Uh, but the other side is that the Ukraine government is also kind of uh, corrupted, right? Yeah. yeah, we know that Ukraine has been corrupt because we know what the Biden family did. I mean, if we were, if we were a, an honest country right now, we would say, somebody would say to Hunter Biden, would you please give back to the poor Ukrainian people the three and a half million dollars you skimmed off the top for doing nothing but using your father's vice presidency to leverage influence for Ukraine? And that would feed, you know, all the poor orphans in Ukraine. So we know they're corrupt. But Zelensky, uh, because you remember the Biden administration the first week said, we got to get him out of here. And he got mad. And I, I mean, they wanted to airlift him out and give up. And he said, I don't need a ride. I need help, meaning weapons. So he's been very courageous and we all admire him. The only problem that I see that he's having, he thinks that the West and the U.S. interests are identical to Ukraine's and they're parallel, but they're not the same. So he has to be very careful when we're finally flooding his country with weapons and he shakes his finger and says, you have to get pilots in for a no-fly zone. You have to, you, you have to, have to. Well, what he's doing is saying, you have to risk a nuclear war and have San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, and Los Angeles all possibly wiped out for my country. And Americans are not gonna go that far. They're saying, wait a minute, you have long-standing differences with Russia. Your policies, your corruption, your inability to arm and your inability to deter got you in the situation that you're in. We want to help you. 
but don't lecture us that, what, that you control American foreign policy. You don't. And when he goes after Israel, like, that's a good example because he said to the Israeli government that did condemn Russia in the General Assembly, but did not sanction them. He said, you people should be ashamed of yourself. During World War II, we helped the Jews in Ukraine. Well, first of all, 500,000 Ukrainians did die, but many of them were fighting on the German side and on the Western Front, and many of them helped kill Jews. So if you talk to somebody from Israel or who's Jewish, one of the problems they have with Ukraine is the history of Ukraine in World War II was to help exterminate Jews in a lot of cases. And the second thing, every time a ballot came up, initiative at the United Nations to condemn Israel, Ukraine voted to condemn Israel. So the Israelis are saying to them, don't lecture us. And then most importantly, and this is what I meant by Ukraine, assuming that everybody has the same agenda as Ukraine. Every time that Israel is attacked from Syria, a missile goes off by Hezbollah, or the Syrian government, or Iran with a you know, a surrogate force, or from Hamas in the West Bank. The Russians control Syrian airspace, and the Russians have made a deal with the Israelis. They say, as long as you don't hurt the Assad government and you don't get in our way, you can retaliate. If they send a missile from Syria, you can bomb that. And that's what the Israelis have done. And Russia is now, I don't know how it happened, but it is the intermediary in the Iran deal. So what we're watching right now is Russia is saying to Israel, if you sanction us, you're not going to be able to go into Syria whatsoever, and they're going to fire on you with impunity. And number two, we are governing the pace of nuclear proliferation in Iran. If you sanction us, we will make sure that Iran gets a bomb and you won't be able to do anything about it because we will put Iran under our nuclear umbrella and anybody who attacks Iran attacks Russia. So that's an example of how Ukraine can get a lot of people killed if they feel that everybody's interests are identical to theirs. They're, they're sympathetic, they dovetail, but they're not the same. Talking about uh, China watching this war in Ukraine, so how do you think the PRC's position on the war and, you know, what's their plan? I think their initial, we've been hearing things that the Biden administration had stupidly given Chinese Communist Party confidential intercepts or intelligence information about an impending war. We had heard that Putin had asked them not to, they had asked uh, Putin not to start the war during the Olympics. But whatever the truth is, it's pretty clear that Putin anticipated sanctions. He anticipated embargoes and boycotts. And he went to the Chinese and he said to them, I'm going to invade Ukraine. And I'm going to be sanctioned. And you can get a lot of oil and natural gas from me at a bargain-based price if you'll buy it and break the sanction. In the meantime, we will open up our markets in a way we never have for Chinese products. And we would like you to take Russian products, mostly fertilizers, food, oil, and put that out on the open market as well. In exchange for that, we're going to take Ukraine in a week with a rapid airborne assault. The world's going to do nothing it's going to be shock and awe, and it's going to provide you with a blueprint of how to take Taiwan. And the Chinese bought into that, of course. So they're going to make money on the cheap oil. They got they liked the idea that they were the distributor of commerce in and out of Russia. And they liked the idea that the world would de facto say nothing about violating the borders of a sovereign country in the way that they were going to do it with Taiwan. But as the war goes on, in the week ending didn't happen and we're now getting near six weeks the chinese being very pragmatic they're not communist ideologues as much as power hungry realists they're saying to themselves well 
wait a minute, what if the Taiwanese 26, 27 million of them fought like the Ukrainians did? And what if after Ukraine, Europe and Japan, the United States and Australia and South, what if they just poured weapons into Taiwan the way that everybody's doing Ukraine so that the entire Taiwanese people was a nation in arms? And on every block, a guy had a stinger and around every little business, uh, the mom and pop store pulled out a javelin missile on behind the counter. And what if these sanctions that are hurting Russia, they apply them to us? And so for the Chinese, they're in a state of pause and reflection. There's no morality involved in it. They, they want to destroy Taiwan. And then there's some Chinese leaders that obviously are thinking, okay, well, maybe plan A didn't work with the Russians, and that means our plan A wouldn't work either. And maybe we couldn't, maybe the Taiwanese will be armed and they, they will fight. But let's take, let's just hold on a minute and look at plan B. Now Putin is destroying the eastern part of Ukraine and nobody's doing anything about it. So maybe instead of, you know, taking Taiwan, we could destroy it. We could just say, you know what, they've been aggressive and we could bomb them and take out their flower plants and their major chip industries, airfields, and say, you know what, we'll just leave it a mess like Ukraine. So they're looking at alternatives and strategies, but they are looking at Ukraine to see how Putin does and how the world reacts to it. Yellen in the hearing said that if Chinese government uh, does invade Taiwan, U.S. will just apply all the sanction tools on it. So how do you think? Yeah, I think that'll be very difficult Why? because if the sanctions are leaking now and Russia has 140 million people and a GDP smaller than South Korea, what would the sanctions do to a country of 1.4 billion that has 70% already of the US GDP? It's huge. And so the question is, the only thing that I can see that's optimistic is they have, they only produce about five or 6 million barrels and they consume more than we do. So if the, if Russia was on board and the Middle East and us, then they, you, they would run out of fuel very quickly if that happened. The other problem is there's not a lot of Americans that have joint ventures in Russia that they find lucrative. But we have everybody from Bill Gates to Jeff Bezos to the NBA to Michael Bloomberg that are making billions of dollars in China in, in joint endeavors. It would be very it would very it would be very unnecessary to get all those people on board and say we're going to sanction them. you've got to close down your joint venture you've got to joint uh, close down your markets we would have to tell all of the universities many of them who overcharge by about 10 percent tuition room and board for chinese foreign students we're going to have to say you know what all 380,000 students are going to have to go back to china because their government invaded taiwan and so it's feasible we could do that. We have the ability to do that. And then we'd have to take a hit in rising inflation because so many of our think essentials are made in China. But uh, you can see that China is scared of that because they're right now fast tracking new intercontinental missiles and, and nuclear weapons. And they're waking up and they're thinking, oh my God, Russia has one thing going for it besides oil. It's got 7,200 nuclear weapons. The United States has 6,800. We have less than three or 400, 400, 500. We need to get a lot more and, and we need to get new ones. So that's what they're doing right now. So they're trying to process all of these various uh, inputs and see, again, it's not a question of is it right or wrong to invade Taiwan in their way of thinking? It's, we're going to invade Taiwan. We just want to find when and how it's the best way and the least damage to us. All right. So, yeah, that's uh, Professor Henson's uh, second part of the interview. 
So, um, yeah, first of all, we'd like to uh, thank Larry Hank. Thank you so much for your support, for your donation. And uh, probably I won't be able to go through all the comments, uh, maybe just uh, read uh, a couple of them. Uh, Long Wolf said, uh, did you know police in California are not allowed to call game members game members? The terminology is disallowed. And they cannot track that either law prohibits a database of game members. And I just learned that uh, the California legislatures already proposed uh, a, it's a different issue, but they are proposing uh, a new bill to have illegals to become California police. Okay, and uh, Vape King CCP days are numbered. Hide in the watch. Yeah, so that's, uh, it's not our topic today, but um, that's, um, a lot of people would agree with that. We can talk about that more later. And Joe Michael said, California is passing more bills to take away, take more rights away. Yes, we are, we talked about that uh, last week, the 10 bills they are trying to push. And Lewis said uh, the Patriots say keep your eyes on California. I pray it's because they will lead on reform, but honestly it looks like California is the example of tyranny and a chaos. Yeah, so actually I, uh, earlier today I was talking to a group of uh, Bay Area people, Californians, and uh, it's very encouraging, uh, exactly as uh, you know, Lewis and others saying that uh, California probably we will see a change. Um, they are doing, a, you know, like a grassroots work, very solid work to, you know, on the uh, election integrity front. I will actually, I plan to invite them to our show and share with you more later. And Luis continues said that uh, Californians have faith, but uh, be active in voting and uh, policies. A politics. Get off the bench, stand up to the left, and they're bullying, and do your part to open eyes. The rest of America is watching and praying for you. Thank you. And that's exactly, yeah, I think it is happening. Long Wolf said, please ask, I think you refer to Professor Hansen, how does the public fight uh, sociopathic leadership? I will keep that in my notebook for the next interview. And, uh, oh, Luis shared uh, his experience with uh, SafeChat and uh, he's been posting pictures and the chat with replies to the person. And uh, Luis said uh, there are a lot of uh, boots on the SafeChat and really you guys have better interaction and uh, conversation. That's great. Yeah, so if you have not yet get on to SafeChat, I know if you are new uh, to SafeChat, you may have concerns, but, um, Ask Lewis, <laughs> and uh, so it is uh, very, you know, at least it won't really it won't censor anything. Yeah, it won't censor your speech, whatever you post. So, and uh, by the way, uh, talking about California and the safe chat, there will be a large event, a rally and a gathering in downtown Los Angeles. It's um, you know we. You cannot really talk about it here because of YouTube's uh, restrictions, but uh, the Los Angeles fire firefighters, federal workers, doctors, scientists, educators, artists are gathering, you know, for this uh, cause. You probably can guess what's that, what that it will be. And they said it will, it's going to be a largest uh, diverse rally ever assembled in California. So. Um, we, I will actually be there on Sunday. So it, it will happen on Sunday, April 10th, starting noon time, um, Pacific time. And uh, we will have a live streaming on the SafeChat channel. So yeah, if you would like to watch it, um, have not yet registered on the SafeChat, just go ahead, register it. It won't collect any information from you. You only need a, a email, but it won't be collected, okay? And um, so that's what, what's gonna happen. 
and during um, during the weekend on Sunday again it's uh, 12 noon on the April 10th and uh, Joe asked is there is sound of hope on rumble or Odyssey yes we are on rumble so we posted uh, our rumble channel and uh, if you have not yet subscribed to it please and we have not really done a lot on rumble but uh, we generally post our shows uh, on Rumble channel and we might you know try to do more later and uh, another thing is uh, yeah we do have the podcast if we would like to listen and uh, it's also and you know in the description of our show and uh, then before we finish uh, thank you Louis for reminding so if you have not hit the like please hit the like yeah, for the algorithm, right? And uh, let's see, any others? Uh, since, um, yeah, I, I won't, I don't think anyone would expect a joke from me since Wei is not here, but uh, we will have him make it up next week, all right? So, anything else? Mark said, Wei miss Wei, yes, <laughs> but he will be back. And, uh, oh, Louis said, when Wei's absent, we need to start getting a joke from Kathy. Well, I did try it a couple of times uh, back, you know, quite a few months ago when Wei wasn't here. Uh, sorry, today I wasn't prepared, so I will try next time. All right. So I think this is, that's all for today. Really appreciate you guys uh, with me for this entire show. And uh, please hit the like, pass on the video to people you know um, and uh, so take care we'll see you maybe sunday and uh, good night bye bye